This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I am your host, Erin Benziger. Don't try to spell it. You'll probably get it wrong, and that's okay. But here's something that you should be able to spell, equippingeve.com. That's easy. Easy to remember. Check it out. That's the Equipping Eve website. So if you haven't been there for a while, check it out again. It probably looks the same. But unless it's been many years since you visited, in which case it was updated last year and you should take a look. But there at equippingeve.com, you can find every single podcast episode that we've ever done and uh, access it there. Take a listen, anything that you've missed. There's a blog. Um, there's a free Bible study for you to download. Uh, walking through the book of Zechariah using Dr. John MacArthur's sermons on the same. So check out those resources. And there are other links, uh, links to other ministries there at equippingeve.com, ministries, churches, sources and resources that should be edifying and helpful to you. So take a look and let me know what you think and drop me a line. You can contact me through equippingeve.com. You can also contact me through your favorite social media outlet, as long as your favorite social media outlet is Facebook Facebook or Twitter, because those are the only two I use. At Equipping Eve on Twitter, do a search on Facebook, you'll find us there. Send me a note. Comments, suggestions, criticisms, compliments, they're all welcome. And actually, that is why we are going to talk about what we are going to talk about today. Because somebody sent me an email and said, would you please do a show on this? And I replied and said, great minds think alike, because that has actually been on my list of shows I want to do for a very long time. And it seemed like now should probably just be the time because someone else was thinking along the same lines, kind of fits with something we've recently talked about. So there you go. Timing works. So what is this magical thing we're going to talk about today? Well, it's not magical but it is pretty fantastic. We're going to talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. I don't know about you ladies, and I think I've said this before, I think I said this in a recent episode, that the picture of Jesus as the good shepherd is my absolute favorite. If you think on all of the myriad of names that are attributed to Jesus in scripture, the good shepherd is my favorite. It is my absolute favorite. I just love that picture of Jesus as the good shepherd, not a good shepherd. There are lots of good shepherds, figurative and literal, but there is only one true, truly good, holy, perfect good shepherd. And in fact, I love this picture so much that I keep on my desk all year, even though Uh, these are typically only brought out at Christmas. I keep a little nutcracker, if you are familiar with those. 
a uh, little German decoration, like I say, that usually comes out at Christmas, but there's no reason you can't leave them out all year long. I have a little nutcracker who is a shepherd, and he's standing there with his staff in his hand, a little sheep at his feet, and I keep it on my desk all year. I'm looking at it right now. I was just dusting his hat while I was talking to you because I love that picture of Jesus as the good shepherd, and I'm certain that Jesus did not look like this nutcracker, but nevertheless, it reminds me. It reminds me. And so let's talk about that today. Turn in your Bibles, ladies, if you haven't already, in anticipation, turn to John 10. Turn to John 10. And we're going to read starting at verse 1 so that we can get the context But before we start reading, we're going to, to step back and just remember what's in chapter 9 again. And, and we did this a couple weeks ago when we were looking at another verse in chapter 10. But in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth. Do you remember that? And the Pharisees, they're kind of raging against this. And so Jesus, when he starts talking in chapter 10... Those Pharisees are still there. Actually, since your Bibles are open, go back just a few extra verses, and we're going to start in chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. That's the blind man who had been healed. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And it goes on and says there's a division again among the Jews because of what Jesus was saying. Jesus is making some pretty intense claims in this passage. Now, a little bit more context, as I'm sure most of you know that uh, this statement of I am the good shepherd is within the broader context of the book of John, one of the seven I am statements, you know, where Jesus says, I am such and such, I am such and such. What are those? Quiz time, right? The bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, and the true vine. And we're looking today at I am the good shepherd. So in the context of these great I am statements, what what are those saying to us? Or more importantly, what were they saying to the original audience and to us as Jesus was teaching in Israel at the time? Well, way back in John 8, 58, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And he was identifying himself with the I am of the Old Testament from Exodus. Remember, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am eternal. And I am the I am. So he's claiming divinity. He's claiming eternality. And he's claiming exclusivity to the way of salvation. And that's what we see in each of these I am statements. If you would sit down and do a study of them, you'd see how they're all a claim to the exclusive salvation that is found through Jesus Christ alone, because he is the ultimate deliverer and savior of his people. And not only that, in each one of these, we see more and more of Jesus' character revealed and his role uh, in our lives as our Savior and our Lord. And so a study of the I Am statements is a fantastic one to embark on, and I would encourage you to do that. And I think we'll actually um, begin posting a series of articles on the Equipping Eve blog. I wrote these a couple of years ago, um, and they were published um, anonymously, actually, in my church bulletins, my church at the time bulletins. Um, but I think that they would be an encouragement to you, ladies. They're really short devotional readings. And so keep an eye out on the Equipping Eve blog for those because they will be coming and we'll walk through each one of these I am statements. So we'll do that through the spring here. And so here we are, we're looking at Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And you might have noticed as we read that passage in John 10, that earlier, before he says he's the good shepherd, he says, I am the door. Now, if you studied any of this at all, you might remember that um, sheep are enclosed in a sheepfold every night, and, and that's guarded. And only the shepherd has the authority to enter through that door and call his own sheep by name out of the sheepfold. So Jesus, when he says, I am the door, he's declaring authority over his flock. 
And what's so cool about John 10, I this is seriously, I think this is my favorite chapter in all of scripture. I've said that before, haven't I? That there in 1016, he talks about having other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them in and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. Ladies, that is saying that Jesus' flock is one of both Jews and Gentiles. And that was pretty monumental back in Jesus' day. And it's still pretty monumental today because I'm guessing that the majority of you listening are Gentiles. I am. So that verse is pretty amazing for us, isn't it? That salvation is available to us. But Jesus is saying that salvation is through him alone. And Jesus, as the door, he's not a revolving door. You can't go in and go out, because remember what we talked about a few weeks ago. Jesus said in verse 28, sorry, I had to put my glasses on. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So he's not a revolving door. That's a good thing. That's amazing, right? So here he's he's using this metaphor of a she, of sheep and a shepherd, the door to the sheepfold. His listeners were very familiar with this picture. I mean, shepherding was very common back then, and they understood the role of a shepherd and what that looked like. Not to mention, they were also familiar with the Old Testament and the fact that the Old Testament prophesied that a good shepherd would come. So if you turn back in your Bibles, ladies, to Ezekiel 34... Ezekiel 34, it starts out and we see there are some words of warning to the shepherds of Israel. That would be the the religious leaders of Israel. And so it's pretty telling that Jesus is drawing this metaphor from the Old Testament. And he's using the same one as he's standing there talking to the religious leaders of his day. So Ezekiel 34 reads, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Wow. I would not have wanted to be a religious leader in Israel at the time that Ezekiel prophesied that. And then it goes on. Verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God is the good shepherd. He promised that he would search for his sheep, that he would seek them out, that he would lead them to green pastures, that he would feed them, heal them, care for them, seek them when they are lost. It's quite a picture, isn't it? And Jesus' listeners knew this picture. They knew that false shepherds had been condemned. And, oh, what is Jesus doing here in John 9 and 10? He's condemning the Pharisees, isn't he? So here in John's gospel, we're seeing Jesus contrasting himself with the religious leaders of the day because he is the good shepherd the good shepherd who was prophesied by the prophet Ezekiel. I'm sure many of you have heard a little bit of teaching about sheep and how it's so appropriate to describe us as sheep, us meaning Christians, because we're human and we're stupid. We're defenseless and we're totally dependent, aren't we? Now, without God, if we've not been saved, if we've not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, given that new heart, given that regenerated mind and heart and desires and will, we don't feel defenseless, do we? We don't feel totally dependent on anything except ourselves if we're not saved. In fact, we feel pretty independent and we can take on the world, can't we? But once we've been saved, we realize how dependent we truly are on Christ. And that's why we feed on the food of his word. That's why we communicate to him in prayer. He communicates to us through his word. We communicate to him in prayer. We bring our joys and our praises to him and we bring our sorrows and our trials. And we are comforted. 
we are sheep and we will go astray if we are not dependent on our good shepherd. And being a shepherd back in the days of Israel, it was not a glorified job. It was one that often required you to put your life on the line. It was a day and night job. Remember David, King David of Israel? He used to be a shepherd before he became king, didn't he? In 1 Samuel 17, verse 36, he describes a little bit of his life as a shepherd. He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Lions and bears. Doesn't say anything about tigers. Wait for it. You'll get it later. Because the shepherd, his livelihood was his flock. And so he did everything he needed to do to protect his flock. It's quite the picture, isn't it? Our shepherd, Jesus Christ, has his own sheep given him by the Father. We just read that in John 10. He calls them and he knows them by name. And so as Jesus was talking, it's very likely not only that the practical picture of what a shepherd is and does was coming up in the minds of his hearers, but that they were remembering Ezekiel 34. Because here Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. And the people are remembering Ezekiel 34 where God rebuked the religious leaders and promised that he would come as the good shepherd. The Pharisees, you see, they were considered the shepherds of Israel. And yet Ezekiel 34 is pretty clear that those religious leaders were not doing what they were called to do by God. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It's almost like he's saying, take heart. I've come. Don't just think of that first part of Ezekiel 34. Think about the subsequent verses where God promises to come and seek and search for you and bind you up and lead you, and care for you, and protect you, and provide for you. That's me. And in fact, the way this is written, I read several places, is really emphasizing what Jesus is saying as, I am the shepherd, the good one. And good here is the word kalos, Greek word. So it's not just morally good. It's not just something that's morally good. But one way that John MacArthur describes it is that it is excellent on all levels. He is comprehensively, fully good. Everything that you can possibly think of and more that encompasses good, goodness, is there in Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. And John MacArthur, in his sermon on this text in John 10, he um, breaks it down into three kind of points to look at. Jesus as the good shepherd. Why is he the good shepherd? Because he dies for them. I lay down my life for the sheep. He loves them. Of course he loves them. Look at how he cares for them. Look at the fact that he lays down his life for them. And he unites them. That's those two flocks that we talked about earlier. So these are ways that Jesus is the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd prophesied in the Old Testament. Another place we find that promise is in Psalm 80, where God is the shepherd of Israel. But where is another place in the Old Testament that talks about a shepherd? I'll give you three guesses, and if it takes you more than one, no prize for you. There's no prize period, but anyway. Are you thinking, like I'm thinking, ladies, about Psalm 23? Psalm 23. Turn there in your Bibles if you're following along. I mean, we had to go here. We had to go here. So, okay, yes, Jesus is contrasting himself between the false shepherds of Israel and he is the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd look like? Well, King David certainly knew what a good shepherd would look like, and he knew his Lord and what he looked like. And so he described in Psalm 23 and says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is a book that I read years ago, for graduate school actually, and I recently reread it. And some of you may be familiar with this book. It's a little little book. It's a small small book, but it's a really neat book. And it's by Philip Keller, not Tim Keller, Philip Keller. And it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. So Philip Keller was a shepherd and he takes these verses and he kind of compares them to the life of a shepherd and, and, you know, actual experience with sheep and how these verses directly correlate to what that looked like for a shepherd. And then he takes it, you know, the extra step further of how it is that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. It's a really cool book. I encourage you to read it. It's pretty cheap on Amazon. And in fact, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I will send a copy of this book to the first person who sends me an email after listening to this episode. If you send me an email, equippingeve at gmail.com, or you can go to the website and contact me. But the first person to contact me and tell me that they listened to this episode and they'd like to receive this book, I will go ahead and send you a copy. Um, Like I said, I wasn't planning on doing that or else maybe I'd give away multiples, but that's what we're going to do today. So um, send me a note if you'd like a copy of this book. And like I said, it's, it's really reasonably priced if you want to pick it up on your own. Um, It's on Kindle. It's, you know, in paperback. Um, But I encourage you to pick it up. It's a quick and easy read, and I think it'll be an encouragement and a comfort to you. And so I just want to walk through Psalm 23 just a little bit and kind of talk about what Philip Keller brings out in his book on some of these points. And he makes the point at the start of this book, he says that a sheep's life depended on who owned it. You know, who owns me as a sheep? 
if you have a kind, gentle, brave shepherd, you, you have a good owner and your life will be good. If you have an angry, domineering, selfish shepherd, it will not be a good life for that sheep. He won't be taken care of. He'll be malnourished. He'll be sickly. He'll be in danger. And Keller talks a little bit. He gives some examples of some other um, flocks that he encountered during his time as a shepherd that you know were just clearly not taken, not well taken care of. And so he says right at the start of this book that because the Lord is our shepherd as Christians, then we need to know the character of our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, says David. So we need to know the character of him. And then he goes on and says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this isn't just about material needs or provisions. And we all know that there are lots of Christians who are in need of material things, aren't they? But God does promise to provide for his own. It might look different for each one of us, but he does care for each of us. But what David is saying here is that because the Lord is my shepherd, I will be utterly content. And it says he makes me lie down in green pastures. And Keller really, I found this really interesting, is that sheep won't lie down unless they are free from, and he goes on and describes all of these things in detail, but just to sum it up for you, unless they are free from fear, tension, aggravation, and hunger. And think about it, it's hard for us to settle and be content unless we are free from these same things, isn't it? And where do we find freedom from fear, tension, aggravation, and spiritual hunger? It's in our Lord, isn't it? And our Lord knows where the green pastures are and he knows where the waters are. And he knows where that pure source of water is. And it's often in a green pasture. Something interesting Keller talks about is that when it's not hot outside, sheep can actually survive for months on very little water and just consuming the dew that is on the grass where they're grazing in the early morning or in the evenings. I thought that was fascinating. And that dew is a pure source of refreshment, wouldn't it be? And so what does that mean for us as Christians, that we must be feeding on God's word and drinking from that fountain of living water? That is Jesus Christ, isn't it? Because Jesus does want to see us contented. When we're in discontent and we're not resting in him and in his sovereignty, what good are we for him? I'm sure you've all been there. I certainly have been. Or I'm just a mess because there is junk going on in my life and it's distracting me and I'm letting it distract me. And I'm letting it consume me and I'm focusing on it, which means I'm focusing on myself and I'm not focused on Christ. And I'm not allowing myself to get that nourishment that I need from him so that I can be fully content in spite of the stuff. The stuff is not going to go away, but we can still be content in Christ. And Keller goes on in this book and he talks about how um, the sheep have to be led through the valleys to get to the mountaintops. And boy, do we know that that's true in our lives, isn't it? And then he describes the shepherd's rod and staff and how the rod was a weapon of power, authority, and defense. And back 
in Jesus' day, it was a rod. You know, today a shepherd might carry a gun or something like that. But it's, it's serving the same purpose. And what, what weapon do we have that fulfills that same purpose spiritually for us? It's the word of God, isn't it? And he says that this would also be used to examine and count the sheep. And then he hearkened back to Psalm 139, where David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And doesn't the word do that to us? We read it, and that is how God searches our hearts. And we're convicted, and we're encouraged, and we go to him in prayer, and we say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. And we're convicted, and we're encouraged. And then he says that the staff symbolizes concern and compassion. Two qualities that our Lord certainly embodied. And Keller goes so far to kind of allude to the staff as the, our comforter or the Holy Spirit who guides us just as the shepherd uses his staff to guide his sheep. And then we come to the end of the psalm. And we've skipped over a lot here, ladies, but... I, like I said, I encourage you to read that book and I encourage you to study this psalm on your own and just read it, read it over and over and meditate on it and pray through it because it's so beautiful. I used to kind of be of the mindset, I didn't dislike Psalm 23, but it's so overused, you know, even by the world, it's kind of become a cliche. And so I whenever something becomes like that, I have a tendency to be like, I, I just am just not going to deal with that. You know, let me go someplace else to find the same truth or to find the same encouragement. And that's foolish. And that's doing a disservice to this beautiful, beautiful psalm that depicts perfectly our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Keller even talks about in verse 5, it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. So he talks about how these pests and these flies, I think he called them nose flies, but I don't remember exactly, you know, come uh, on the sheep and they just, they're, they're so irritating and aggravating and that sheep will like beat their heads against the ground and rocks and, you know, constantly be like throwing their head around. And kind of almost go in a panic because they they can't get rid of these pests. But as soon as you pour this oil on them, this mixture, the irritation is gone. Oh, what a picture, isn't it? So we have all these pests and these flies around in our life. But when we come to the Lord again in prayer and reading his word, don't we feel a comfort? When we are reminded of his grace and the grace that he's shown to us by forgiving us and saving us, don't we feel a comfort? And so, because the Lord is my shepherd, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In spite of the valley of the shadow of death, right? In spite of all of the stuff, the dangers, the wolves that the good shepherd has saved me from, the gnats, the irritations that he's calmed and soothed, the wounds that he's bound up. 
our Jesus is the Good Shepherd. What a picture. He restores my soul. Jumping back to verse 3. He restores my soul. Keller talked about this a little bit. Um, and said that this is a picture of being cast down or cast. And so they actually, that's actually a term shepherds use when a sheep is cast. And that means that they've fallen on their back. And he writes, a cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays away frantically struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there, lashing about in frightened frustration. If the owner does not arrive on the scene within a reasonably short time, the sheep will die. Which is why if one sheep is missing, the shepherd will go out immediately and search for it so he can find it because of its cast, he needs to be set aright. And then he tells a story, a couple of stories, and tells one about when he had this ewe that was constantly, it was, she was constantly a cast sheep. She just was always doing that. And so he describes this process. He says, as soon as I reached the cast ewe, my first impulse was to pick it up. Tenderly, I would roll the sheep over on its side. This would relieve the pressure of gases in the room. And there's a picture. If she had been down for long, I would have to lift her onto her feet. Then straddling the sheep with my legs, I would hold her erect, rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation to her legs. This often took quite a little time. When the sheep started to walk again, she often just stumbled, staggered, and collapsed in a heap once more. All the time I worked on the cast sheep, I would talk to it gently. When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? Little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium. It would start to walk steadily and surely. By and by, it would dash away to rejoin the others. All of this pageantry is conveyed to my heart and mind, he says, when I repeat the simple statement, he restores my soul. What a picture. This helpless sheep immobilized. And that happens to us, even in Christ, doesn't it? And our shepherd tenderly picks us up, rolls us over, and cares for us. And sets us aright so that we may go on to serve him. This is the good shepherd, the one who leads us to green pastures, who restores our soul, who guides us through the valleys, comforts us, cares for us, and because of that, why would we doubt that mercy and goodness would follow us all the days of our life? And one day we will be with him forever. Fully content, dwelling with our Savior. Certainly gives us something to look forward to, doesn't it, ladies? I hope you enjoyed taking a look at our Good Shepherd. I hope maybe you'll take a little time to do some study on your own of Psalm 23, of the I Am statements. It's never a waste of time to get to know our Savior better. Okay, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.